Your next 10 million is a community dedicated to folks who have achieved wealth and are looking to achieve greatness. Our interviews and discussions focus on growing your family's wealth and cash flow with investors across asset classes, but with a particular focus on housing and real estate. But there's more to growing your wealth than just capital allocation. So we try to bring you a variety of conversations and experts. Please subscribe to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. Hey guys, we just recorded an incredible freaking podcast with a gentleman named Tom Burns. He's the most authentic, humble, badass I've ever really met. We're going to talk about how he went from being a surgeon to growing a private equity firm up to 3,500 units, how he lives his life with education and helping others. You are not going to want to miss this podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Your Next 10 Million. Um, today, we have a really good friend, a business partner of mine, uh, Tom Burns with us. Uh, Tom is a retired orthopedic surgeon, a physician for the United States ski team. He has years and years of experience at, I think, over two decades, nearly three decades of real estate experience and has developed over half a billion dollars of real estate locally and internationally. Um, he's done a bunch of really great stuff. He's an author. He wrote Why Doctors Don't Get Rich, um, is a best-selling personal finance book for uh, uh, really around uh, you know medical professionals, but I think is applied to a bunch of other professionals um, and has an awesome uh, mastermind, um, uh, you know, specifically for investing. So anyways, we'll dig into a bunch of this stuff, but Tom has an incredible, uh, incredible reputation. He's been a great mentor to me and, uh, we're really excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Tom. Hey, man, it's great to be on with two good friends. You know, this will be fun. This is going to be a blast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we joked that we originally just started this podcast, just an excuse to, for us to hang out with our buddies more often and, <laughs> and, and, and hear, uh, and hear and learn from them. Yeah, no, this will, this will be a lot of fun. We spent a lot of, a lot of time together in person, and this will be this will be a blast doing this on Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we know you really well, but a lot of you know a lot of the folks that you know are probably listening in maybe don't know a little bit about your background. Um, could you tell us a little bit about? I mean, you're 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 a former surgeon. You were a hotshot surgeon. You still you know still still work with the U.S. Ski Team. I think you volunteer your time there. Um, I'd love to dig into a little bit about where you come from and your background, how you became a surgeon, and then how you stopped being a surgeon. Yeah, sure, sure. I know y'all heard the boring story, but we'll we'll lay it out again. Um, <laughs> no, no. So I, you know, I, I, great. You know, my dad was a cop. My mom was a nurse. I just, you know, I was, and I was a guy that just did sports. It's all I did when I was a kid, and uh, pretty much didn't think about the future other than you know the next athletic event. Uh, there was a time when I pretty much got the realization that nobody was going to pay me to be an athlete because I wasn't good enough. Uh, I was pretty good, but there's levels, right? Uh, so, and I was good in school. School was really easy. Uh, that's a blessing and a curse, depending on which side of the entrepreneurial corn you're on. But uh, I thought, okay, if I want to hang out with athletes, I'll go be a doctor, be an orthopedic surgeon, be a sports guy. So that's a that's a process. So that was uh, that was college med school and a thing called a fellowship, which was a sports fellowship. So I did those things. Became a sports guy. Came to Austin and had a had a really nice, fun practice in Austin, Texas. Uh, that was it. You know, um, it was during that, it was during that process that, that things happened. So 
you know, I, I went to high school and did, you know, whatever they made me take in high school. I went to college and did kind of pre-med stuff, right? Uh, pre-med plus fraternity. It was sometimes a bad combination. Uh, you know, when you sleep through, <laughs> you sleep through labs and, and things like that, and they give you zeros. So, you know, they did tell me at one time, you'll never make it to med school because I would, you know, I think I drank the first two years of college. You know, that's just the way it goes. Uh, then I'm that's, that's, uh, I think that's everyone's job the first two years, yeah. as, long as, you, yeah. as long as you skate through the last two. Yep, yep. And uh, so that was fun. And so I did all that stuff. And 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 so, you know, but I, none of those classes were business classes. I probably could have taken one as an elective, wish I had. But, uh, you know, that's, that's not where you get your education anyway. Went to med school, obviously no business. So went to fellowship. Uh so fellowship, so hopefully you don't hear the cat fighting with the dog. Right? <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Uh, so when doctors, you do four years of medical school, and then in orthopedics, you do five years of residency training, and then a year of sports. So I'm in the middle of that five years, just following the plan, right? And I started watching the guys ahead of me that teach us. You know, it's kind of an apprenticeship program. You're taught by the doctors that are 10, 20, 30 years older than you. I started right. watching these dudes, and they were, you know, they were on their second or third marriage. They're in the hospital at 10, 11 o'clock at night when I had to be there, but I didn't think they had to be. Uh, they were talking about not having control of their lives and everything. And that happened enough times. And it was either a, a touch on the shoulder from God or blind luck. But I thought, man, I do not want their money if I got to have their life. That's not yeah. what I wanted to be in 30 years. So I thought, you know, crap, what do I do? Uh, so I started looking around for something that would bring me some money outside of medicine, not correlated to medicine. I looked at going into administration because, you know, it looks cool to, to uh, carry a suitcase and wear a suit when you're wearing scrubs all the time. And, I found <laughs> out that, and you know, I found out that was a job. And uh, that's kind of where I found out that I wasn't horribly employable. Um, I looked at stocks. I didn't have the money, the time or the smarts to do that kind of stuff and didn't have the time to run a business. And real estate sort of fit my schedule. Busy, busy learning doctor, busy you know, a practicing surgeon, you can do it part-time, full-time, you can do it with partners. You don't yeah. have to be first in or last, you know, last in or first out or first in or last out. You know, you don't have to time it perfectly. Yeah. So I just kind of started learning and, uh, you know, I didn't have any money to do anything with it. I was just learning back then. I'd read books. I'd talk to people. I went to Vail. And so this is what happened over a couple of years. I went to Vail and the guy I worked with was world famous. So we had the cream of the crop from various industries come in to see us all the time. And we got all the stars from Los Angeles, all the athletes from across the world and all the financial people from New York. So a lot of wealthy people came in there. So, you know, when I was making rounds in the hospital, I utilized both of my ears and rarely used my mouth. I just sat and talked to those guys, asked them questions, asked them what they did, how they made their money. And so I got a bit of an education there, came back to Austin, Texas, Paid off a few bills and then uh, I just jumped in. I bought something because I just wanted to start, so I bought something. And that's what was started. your first deal. Yeah, it was a student condominium at the University of Texas. Uh, I had All a, right, had a relative who was going to come down and go to Texas. So I thought, and he needed a place to live. He wasn't going to live with us. I thought, well, hey, I got to take it. And I saw two birds with one stone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> I knew. Uh, you know, I knew some theories, you know, like the professors, they, you know, I knew some book theory and stuff, but I need some practical stuff. So I just found something through the newspaper and knew nothing. 
Uh, the guy that showed it to me happened to be a property manager plus a broker. So I said, oh, I like this. And I, I knew how to do the numbers. I could do those on a napkin and seemed like it made sense. And I had to be handheld through the whole thing. I had to, you know, I had to find out about getting a loan. They said, you got to go get a loan. Great. And yeah, I'm a, you know, they told me how much I had to put down. I got mad at the bank because they were asking me for personal financial statements and taxes. And I, <laughs> I didn't understand all of it. Taking uh, it personal. Yeah, and all the costs and everything. So it was, you I know, still it was take big, it personal. It was a big cluster, but eventually I got it bought. And a couple of months went by. I was making 100 or $200 a month in passive income. It just showed up every month. That was pretty cool. Uh, I actually got... You know, I really liked that, you know, and so I caught I caught the bug. I caught the addiction. Right. I was addicted to that. So I called the guy and said, hey, you got any more of these? He goes, sure. I got one down the street. We went down there, looked at that one. That deal, although, again, a bit rocky and not perfect, was much faster than the first one. And so I bought another, 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 another. I got to where I could buy those things sight unseen. I knew the market like the back of my hand. Uh I bought one side unseen because he told me where it was, what it was, uh, and and that's I still own it to this day. Bought another one that I saw in the newspaper on Sunday night back in the day when we used newspapers. Uh, I'll show y'all one one day. We'll see. We'll show you what it looks like. But, um, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there was an ad in there, and I told my wife, I said, I'm buying this property tomorrow. She goes, that's dumb. How can you do that? It's just an ad. I said, look, either some, either it's covered with roaches and mold or somebody doesn't know what they've got. And uh, I was seeing patients that day and walked out the back door, slipped down to the place, looked at the condo, made an offer, got it accepted. And uh, it just turned out that the the owner and the broker just didn't understand the market and I knew it better than them. So uh, I actually got that one no money down because it appraised so much higher than they were than they sold it to me before. So that started me singles. Then wow. it went to multiple units and partners and things like that. And it just grew organically. That's awesome. And eventually I, I know at one point in there, you actually, you bought, you built or you developed or built a, a hospital, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way that happened, so I was doing my thing. I was buying properties. That's all I knew. And I was making passive income and it was kind of growing and adding. And I never touched that stuff. I left it in one, one area so we could keep making babies and wasn't part of my lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, but I kind of reached a point where I wanted to go bigger, better, faster, right? You know, and we all know people that want to do that. And yeah. I didn't know how to do it. So I went, I had a friend who I'd vacationed with and was a buddy of mine who was a developer. And I went to him and said, look, I like what you do. Will you show me the ropes? You know, <laughs> he laughed, looked at me, goes, you're a rich doctor. You don't need to know this stuff. I said, let's teach me anyway. Sure. So I worked, I worked for him for a year and a half. Free. We were doing build-to-suit deals, looking for uh, land for bank franchises. A hospital asked us to look for land. It was great. I got a great education. Talked to a lot of brokers. Looked at a lot of land around Austin. I didn't get paid. And in fact, I took off afternoons in the office. So while while he wasn't charging me for all this education, I was still paying for it because I was you know I was cutting off office. Uh, but this went on for a while. But what happened is it led to the development of a 150,000 square foot medical office complex. And inside that, so we all, just, he and I own that complex together and we still own it today. But as part of it, we also f built and founded a hospital and built that, sold the operating business. We still own the dirt and the buildings underneath them. But that was 15 years of my life. I'd like to get back, but we did do that. <laughs> wow. This is That's awesome. 
That's yeah. awesome. I bet you learned a ton. Was that your first ground up? Yeah, it was. And so, okay. you know, being in the meetings, talking to the engineers, you know, I was responsible for all the extra parking spaces because, you know, the regulations show you only need one to 150 or one to 200 or whatever. And I knew medical was like one to 300. So I'm trying to pack in parking spaces and I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. It was great. Yeah, that's amazing. I Something to even relate to your story. I remember being in poker world and just maybe it was a hand of God as well, too. It's just I looked around. And I said, man, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to be in a in a poker room trying to take other people's money. I said, I have to go build something for myself. And that's when I got into real estate. Um, but I, what I am like super curious, so I went on my route to a single family, same with you. But where did you start to separate yourself from being a, a doctor into going full-time real estate? And where did you make that decision to say, hey, this is time to start pursuing this full-time? So it was long. I'm a slow learner. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I started the process when I was in training to be a doctor and I did that cause I liked it. Right. I got to hang out with athletes and stuff. So I enjoyed my practice and the, the two kind of grew in parallel. So, um, as things moved along, there was a point where I was making, you know, reason, nothing, nothing to write home about, but a reasonable enough, uh, income coming from my real estate that I thought, you know, Hey, I can, I can do something with that. So I took a, I took a Friday afternoon off. That's, you know, mm -hmm. I, was, I was working all five days, right? Uh, took a Friday afternoon off and I was king of the world. I had a two and a half day weekend if I wasn't on call. Uh, so that's, that's kind of, and I just, I just continued that process uh, over the years to where I'd cut out more and more afternoons. And, you know, by the end of it, I was working two mornings a week, that sort of thing. But back when I started, you know, if you really want something, you'll always find the time. So my my non-doctor revenue producing time was, you know, before 630 in the morning or in the afternoons and on the weekends. You just do it. So I burned a candle at both ends for a while. Mm -hmm. Then when one end started burning brightly, I started to use that to, to even the scales a little bit, work a little bit less. The, the less I worked as a doctor, the more time I had to put to the real estate. And so the scales just kind of did this. Hmm. There came a time about, oh gosh, it's now 14, 15 years ago where I all of a sudden realized, man, the money that's coming in the mailbox is more than I'm making from doing surgery and seeing patients. That was kind of cool. I just kept being a doctor. All I did was just remove the annoying shit that makes the job not fun. And so right. I had fun doing what I did. Uh, so, and I didn't have much of anything else to do. <laughs> So I did that and, uh, you know, bad businessman in me, but I really enjoyed it. The last four years of my medical practice was, I did it for free. Uh, no, wow. I, I essentially made no money, uh, yeah. but I didn't need it and it was fun. Uh, so to finish the answer to your question, Pasha, um, I was just kind of cranking along, probably complacent, probably lazy. Life was just kind of nice and easy. I didn't have a big passion, right? And then a friend of mine, Robert Kiyosaki, wrote a big book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He and I were at lunch one day, and he, he kind of looks at me. I was asking him what his next book was, and he told me, and then through a mouth of salad, he looks at me and he goes, you should write a book. I said, no. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you should write a book. I said, I don't want to. <laughs> said, no, you got a story. I said, fine. If you can do it, I'll do it. So, um, mm -hmm. so I wrote a book uh, with absolutely no business plan. No business plan at all. It was just, okay, I've had a bunch of years and made a jillion mistakes. Let's see if we can help somebody else avoid those mistakes and get to where they want to be. So I spent a couple of years writing the book. 
poor leverage. I didn't use a ghostwriter. I wrote every word of it. Mm-hmm. I used editors, but the the crux of that or the you know punchline to that story is that you know I I was always I would always help people. They kind of knew what I did, and they, I was sort of known as the real estate doctor in Austin. And people would call me for advice. I love teaching. I had students all the time. I'd be teaching them, but you know when I taught a student, it might be you know here's what a knee exam is like, and don't buy stuff that's going to depreciate. Buy assets. You know, I tell <laughs> yeah. people this all the time. In fact, to go on a tangent, I got a letter a couple of years ago from a guy that who had followed me like ten or fifteen years before. He goes, I'll never forget. I was a student, and you told me not to buy junk and to buy assets that made money. He goes because of you, I'm a practicing doctor, and I have no debt, and I'm I've got I've got uh, money. I always remembered that. So, so I did awesome. that all the time. Uh, well, then. Uh, so I, so I put this book out, and I know I told y'all before we started recording, I'm the world's worst marketer, worst salesman. I, I, I had a publishing house that wanted to publish the book. I didn't like their deal. It was restrictive. So I just uploaded it to Amazon, and then I left the country and went hunting in Turkey. No, <laughs> no pre-sales, no, no, hey, I've got a book coming out, nothing. And to add to that, I stopped doing podcasts for the 18 months afterwards, but the, still, the book the book kind of caught fire. It's in like fifteen countries now, and people would call because I left a I left a way for people to to make a connection at least. And uh, I was getting so many of those calls that uh, uh, I, at that point something had to give. You know, something had to something had to be done, and something had to give. I was really enjoying helping these folks. I love it. It's a ton of fun. And uh, but I couldn't do all three jobs. I couldn't run my private equity company, be a doctor, and help these folks. So. That posture is when I decided it was like, it was, you know, less than two years ago, probably 18 months ago, I spent, spent about six months deciding if, you know, sh- should I hang up something that I really like and I'm pretty good at. And uh, that's when I, so I stopped uh, in early 2021, I stopped uh, actually actively being a oh, physician. Wow. Yeah. But you just got back from the US ski team. So you're still volunteering, right? No, I leave in about, I leave in oh, three leave. days for Sweden. Oh, okay, you leave. Yeah. All right. So, cool. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'll help. I can still do it even though I'm not practicing. We, You know, this may be my last one, but we'll see. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of skipped over it, but you also have a private equity firm that's quite large yeah. and you own 3,500 doors or something like that. Um, tell us, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. We always describe ourselves as boutique, you know, small. Uh, <laughs> well, you're so big to us, right? I yeah. guess it's all relative, right? So, you know, when you go along the journey, I... Uh, I was speaking once for Kiyosaki in 2001 and he said, that's Tom Burns. He's from Austin. And I did my deal on stage and got off and somebody came to me at the break and said, Hey, I'm, I'm so I'm Darren and I live in San Francisco. We're moving to Austin. Will you be my contact in Austin? Will you be my new friend? I said, sure. He came, his wife came, got to know them over six or seven years. We realized we had the same philosophy and uh, we became partners. And that is my partner in our private equity firm. It's called Presario Ventures. And, you know, he had his experience in land development and retail and things like that. I had my experience in whatever. We kind of combined and this was right before the Great Recession. And we kind of thought that apartments would have a pretty good run if built or bought right. So we sort of decided to to narrow our focus from all the other stuff that both of us did and somewhat focus on apartments. And so we started our first project came out of the ground was 2009. Great time to do it. Good, good, good year. Good year. Really good good year. year. (laughs) That's got its own story. Uh, 
But we started there. We developed. We were full on. We were the developers. Didn't know really what we were doing, uh, but we learned. And so we've gone on since then. So you know, it's uh, we've we just kind of gradually increased things and and uh, got a great team now. Uh, mostly we do ground up development of apartments, built to rent. Uh, we occasionally branch out into some other stuff. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's a good team and it's a lot of fun. We stay mostly in Texas for now. We we got rid of our uh, the stuff in in other states and Texas has given us enough business recently. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to jump into there something because first of all, I just have to say like time and time again, my mind just goes, man, Tom, you are the most humble, authentic man like I have ever met seriously. And, you know, a lot of this information that you have coming out and I've known you for a while doesn't come out because you're that humble of, of a human. And like what you were talking about earlier about how you were volunteering your time just really stands to your character. I just had to say that because I am in awe of who you, you are as a person. Oh, thank um, you. It's 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 absolutely true. Um, but I, so I wanted to say that I, what I really wanted to kind of dig into a little bit is that you just kind of gl- casually glossed over. You know, we have thirty five hundred units, and we kind of gradually built this business up, right? And so, you know, and this this podcast is about how do we scale the business? How do we get to A to Z? And I know there's got to be some growing pains that you've had in there, but what about, what is some advice you would give yourself when you first started the the private equity firm that you now know through experience, you say, Hey, I would have probably done this differently. Yeah. Um, who I know I can tell you, I'd sure pick some different partners, not Darren, but some of the other ones, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, some sometimes maybe uh you know when times are good really put put the foot on the gas uh we're both pretty conservative by nature uh just kind of one foot in front of the other and compounding and every things like that really do you know it's kind of a logarithmic rhythmic graph but you know it just getting out there and letting people know what you do we just kind of did our thing and let people by word of mouth say hey we invest with these guys we like what they do and and it grew um, but once we started, once we started letting people know, Hey, we've, you know, we have opportunities if it's something that you're interested in and, uh, be happy to educate you on what we do. And that's brought in more people because, you know, people always ask me, are you taking new investors? And it's like, of course we are more is better. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the bigger your, your pool of investors, the more confidence you have to grow. And then, and likewise, then your check sizes can grow. And as the check sizes grow, you know, your, your options increase, you can buy portfolios or you can, you know, you can, you can just do more with, with uh, bigger check sizes. So uh, that, that, and I can tell you, we were, um, we were pretty bootstrapped early. It was, you know, me and Darren and a bookkeeper. <laughs> so yeah. and we didn't have an office. It was just like, we'd meet at some temporary office. So I uh, probably would formalize it early. And when we really formalized it, we spent like three weeks deciding on a name and colors and, what the strategy was going to be and things like that. So I would probably have done that earlier uh, and, uh, and brought in really good talent. We did grow, we grew even more as we brought in some good talent. So, uh, you know, but I think the biggest secret is, uh, is persistence, man. That's the persistence in time makes you a star every time. Yeah. When, when, when you say, you know, you would have taken the pedal to the metal a little bit more. Was, was Do you mean in the sense of like, in hindsight, you started 2009 and you're growing in 2010, 11, 12, these kind of like prime years to buy cheap real estate. Yeah. Would you have meant in the sense of like self-promoting yourself more, letting more people know that you, what you're up to, 
or would you have? Was it like a combination of hiring new uh, employees faster, or you know, some specifics on that? I think I think a combination of all three. You know, let me elaborate. So yeah, we'd have probably got probably should have should have brought on some more permanent people, talented people earlier. That would have been or would have been nice. You know, not that things went badly, but that would have been nice. Um, a little bit, a little bit of marketing might have helped. Didn't do any marketing, but I'll tell you. You mentioned that 2009 period. So we we brought this project out of the ground. It was a I don't know how we did it. Literally, credit cards, and you know, I get a call wow. from my partner. I need sixty four thousand dollars to Raylock today, or we lose it. You know, and so <laughs> yeah, we're like running all over the place. So we pull this thing off, and it's the only complex that comes out of the ground in Austin, Texas, in 2010. So, because uh, how scared were you? uh, Terrified. (laughs) (laughs) What we were doing. So, and and to make it worse, we we get this land, and it's a kind of got a metal building on it where they had dog fights and cock fights, you know, and it's like nobody's built there, you know. But now it's like the cream of the. It's like it's on a road called South Congress in Austin, which is really a you know popular road, Uh, and so. We buy this land, we put an extra parcel together, we get enough to do it, and our debt is GE Capital. So we're in pretty good shape. We're, we're getting ready to start, get our equity. And uh, then, you know, the, the bottom falls out of the world, right? GE Equity just says bye, and they just leave. So here we are with this project. It's the Titanic. We can't turn it away from the iceberg. We got to keep going. Sure. So somebody says, hey, you know, why don't you check out these HUD guys? And we're like, what's HUD? And we went and that's where we cut our teeth on getting a HUD loan. So we did all that. We come out of the ground 2010 national deal of the year, March of 2010, by the way. But oh, wow. Uh, and just cut your teeth on HUD is like kind of an oxymoron because it's, <laughs> oh it's like, I cannot believe that was your first, uh, that was your first deal and you did uh, it with HUD. I still got scars on my brain from the damage that caused. Um, but, you know, we did it. So, and, you know, that kind of fire makes you harder, right? So, yeah. but to answer the question, the foot to the me- the pedal to the metal thing, we wanted to, this was our first big group of investors. Um, and we had to fight just to get, you know, people don't, as we're going into this recession or we're already in it or whatever, right? We're going into headwinds. I can tell you the wealth effect is real. When stock markets drop and things look bad and all the headlines are bad, people do this to their wallet. Yep. Hmm. So I I tell people I still got scars on my knees from begging for money back in 2009. So we barely got our equity. This thing's going. It's in the heart of a recession. So where we didn't go on and build our company is we – put all of our efforts to this one property. We're pulling on the joystick the whole time. So, and I'm telling you, that's probably two or three years. And then, you know, then there was an illness that affected one of us. So there was a gap period where we missed quite a lot of the biggest real estate sale that we've had in the past half century or more. So, you know, in hindsight, it would have been nice to just, you know, kind of maybe, maybe put our attention to some new properties, but we did take care of our investors. They did very well. And we eventually revved up the engine again. So you said two things I really love there. I think that, you know, when, when things are going well, like when, you know, when, when there's opportunity, really lean into it, um, yeah. you know, and lessons learned there. And that's why I love having folks like you on my side is because, you know, you, you, you always are a, a great, uh, make it so I don't have to go through the same thing. And then I also love the, um, you know, fire makes you harder. And I, I really, uh, I love that perspective and I'm sure, I mean, 
you know, everyone hindsight's always 2020, but at the end of the day, you guys probably went through what you went through for a reason. And, you know, to your point, you guys have persisted and you've compounded into just an incredible portfolio that, you know, for when I see, you know, when I see your deals and talk to you, I mean, you guys are in very defensible position in great areas with great growth tailwinds going into a recession. Um, you've got to be feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. And people they kind of look at us as how you guys are lucky. Uh, and certainly we're lucky, you know, luck favors the prepared, right? So, yeah, sure. Yeah. We're, we're at a point now we've had investors for closing in on 20 years. And so we just whisper that a deal's coming up and they commit, you know, they don't even look at the OMs anymore. So yeah, yep. that's taking care of your investors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier that I'd love to uh, kind of pick at about picking different partners. Can you talk a little bit about that, what you learned, and then you don't have to apply now? (laughs) What makes a good partner? What makes a bad partner? Yeah. What do you look for? Uh, you know, uh, it's, and, and it, this is the one that you, it's hard to look for, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the old catchword integrity for sure. You know, I mean, I've got, I've got a partner that, uh, and actually Cody, I described you this way the other day, I've got a partner that I can leave my checkbook and my family with and leave the country and everything's going to be safe. So oh, thank you, man. That's, that's what you lot. want. And that's, that's what I have with my partner at Presario. We, it's, you know, Listen, we don't agree on everything. We have, you sure. know, we we hotly debate stuff. We always come to a resolution, and sometimes I just give because he he really wants it, and it's okay, or vice versa. So you want somebody that's that's humble enough to admit that they've made a mistake, or or uh, you know, humble enough to be a good partner, be part of a team, and not just a a single entity in a in a two man game or or multiple man game. So. Um, and, and you want somebody you can trust, you know, and so it's, it's very, it's difficult to know that early. So I tend to suggest to people to test the waters, dip a toe in. Yeah. I mean, we do the same with our investors. If you're not sure about us, just put a little bit in. We'll let you do that and see how we do for you. Yeah. So do tester deals. Um, and, you know, we, we had a part of our business plan at one point was we would partner with developers that might have some land and want to build and they needed equity. And so we kind of co-GP and partner with them. And uh, it didn't always work out. You know, uh, there was very various kinds of challenges. And that just, you know, takes up, it's the old 80-20 rule, starts taking up 80% of your time. So, yep. uh, you know, we try to we try to do what anybody does when you're going to invest with somebody or partner with somebody. Try to check the track record. Try to go call people. What's best is if you've got somebody you really trust that knows them and says, yeah, you know, Cody's a great guy or Pasha's a great guy. You can't go wrong. It doesn't guarantee success, but it, it maybe at least guarantees you've got a partner that's going to work with you when times get bad and not fly the coop or cause more trouble. Sure. Yeah, no, I love that. Good, uh, good, good partners that all, that, you know, good partners you don't really know who was a good partner until things get rough, right? Like, exactly. well, sometimes you do, but, but especially when things get rough, having a good partner on your side, that's that, uh, you know, that is, that is, that is, you know, honest and on your side and, and coming to the table with solutions and, and, you know, yeah. is going to work with you to fix the situation. I mean, this is investing, right? You know, somebody, yeah. somebody the other day, we had an investor, you know, he asked me, you know, well, so is my return guaranteed? No, no, no <laughs> returns. This is investing. Um, you know, we we work incredibly hard and knock on wood, um, I've, you know, we've, we've done very well for our investors, but, 
you know, this is investing and there's nothing guaranteed, right? And there's always risk in every project we do. And over time, over a 20 year, 30 year career, 40 year career, you know, I mean, you know, you've, you've already done, been for 30 years. I'm sure you've had deals that not everything has gone perfect and perfect. having those right partners makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, once you get one that goes through a, a dip or a dark time with you, then you got one for life, you know, you're in good shape. So yeah. Yeah. and partners, partners make life a lot. Easier. I like partners. That's part of my business plan. You know, sure. I did something on my own, but I prefer partners. What's that, that African proverb, you know, you go faster alone and farther with a team, that sort of thing. Yeah. So Hmm. I like it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I now work with two partners. I've been a lone wolf my whole life in all of my real estate investing. And now having partners that I can trust. And I think what you said, Tom, was so vitally important is that you can, we can, we don't agree on everything, but we always come to a resolution. Mm -hmm. And that's really important that you never feel steamrolled or one person has um, overage on the other partner. And they make me a better person. Like I am better because of them and we are going a lot further with them for sure. Absolutely. And different, different, uh, different perspectives, right? You yeah, know, you, absolutely. You, know, you got one set of glasses on, they got a different set. And it's nice to see two, both sides of the coin at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I get, um, I get this question a lot about, um, well, you know, people are in uh, a lot of it's like the same mastermind that we're in and go abundance. A lot of people are asking, well, should I start a fund? Should I start syndicating? Should I start bringing other people's money to the table? And it sounds like you have such a great following of investors. What what is something that you've done, or how do you have build that trust with people, or try to teach someone who wants to first start syndicating their first deals and start to build a private equity firm? It's funny you asked. I just gave a talk last night on how to raise capital. So <laughs> Jack, I can't answer. No, they're not can. Um, they can be. They're prepared. They're prepared. Mm. Yeah. But you know, I, I, so you know, if somebody wants to start raising money, you know, yes, you can absolutely. If you use other people's money, uh, you know, one of those other people being debt, uh, you're, certainly your portfolio is going to be larger. That's that's how you get wealthy is to use other people's money, particularly debt. But for the equity, if you're bringing in money, it's just, you know, you 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 certainly you you increase your network and your your network does a lot of things for you it helps your education and it helps your social life it helps your it helps you find deals to get into and invest with it helps you find investors so let people know what you do uh and then you know i had a list of do's and don'ts i won't remember them all but you know it's being it's being honest and transparent because we're going to make mistakes cody you mentioned that a minute ago um it's not it's, it's, you know, being, being available, communicate, all those things. That's what you do with your investors. But sometimes the, uh, you know, sometimes the stigma of, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take other people's money or I don't want to raise money. I can't sell. Well, it's, it's not selling. All you're doing is you're, you're just telling a story that you believe in. Mm. It's all you're doing. You know, think mm. of, think of the best movie you've ever seen. Wouldn't you come to somebody else and say, man, I just saw Maverick. It was awesome. You know, you got to go see it. And so if you find something that, you know, you put a bunch of your money in, you're really excited about it, and, you, and then all you're doing is sharing an opportunity with somebody else. Because we forget, um, you know, people have, people have problems, and our job is to solve those problems. So the problem exactly. that a lot of people have is that they've got money but no time, and they want to make their money grow. You've got the expertise, the network, the experience to grow their money. So you're doing them a favor. And you're, you know, bringing their money in so it will grow for them. Um, you know, and it's, it's so if you look at it that way, it's a lot of fun. You know, Ziegler said, 
uh, if you want to get what you want, just give everybody else what they want. So all you're doing is trying to give people what they want. By extension, you'll get what you want. So, uh, and it's, and it's interesting though, when you start raising somebody else, when you start taking money from somebody else, and one of my people in the mastermind mentioned this last night, I have the same feelings. It's really fun because it's fun to, it's fun to get out and tell a good story and, and, you know, talk to people and network. And then when they give you your money, there's always that little hitch, right, Cody? You and I've talked oh, about man. that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. I got it, the first, nice. first couple of deals I raised for, I, I did not sleep well. And still to this day, if something is not going well in an investment, I'm always like, I was, uh, uh, it always just like that pit in my stomach. I'm like, oh man, you know, like I, I know I'm going to turn it around, but I, I hate that I'm not delivering on what I thought I was going to do. I even think of it when it's a good deal. It's like, oh God, I hope our underwriting was good. Let me just go back and make sure. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. Check my facts. But, and that's the way a sponsor or somebody raising money should feel. It's that's is, That is sacred. That money is, so your money is, is yeah. important. Their money is sacred. So, yeah. and that's why retirement, their, it's their kids' college absolutely. funds. It's, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, you're giving them an opportunity that's great, but you've got a giant responsibility when you take somebody else's money. So if you're oh, yeah. ready for that responsibility, you got the integrity, the transparency and the network and the team to do that, then, you know, start, start raising small and start helping some people out. It's, you know, you're, you're doing a service. I will say the flip side is after some deals start to go, you know, after, after, you know, after the deals start to realize some of the returns, um, uh, uh, we have a, we have a deal that me and Tom did, did together. And, uh, and just the other day we had an investor send out the update and like, you know, just, just thank you so much for your hard work. Yeah. And I really, you know, I know how much you're working out there, for, you know, on my behalf and, and, uh, and that, 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 that made my whole, that made my whole day. Or like, you know, I had another person that was like, man, I love, you know, did this other deal. Uh, uh, and this other guy came up to me and it's like, man, we, you know, you've just done everything you've said you're going to do. And I just, you know, I think the world of you and, and, and I really built a lot of trust. I mean, that kind of type of stuff, that's where like it starts to really become worth it because it's a lot of fear. Um, and then when you start, to, you know, when you start hearing those things from folks that you've, that you've done, you know, that you've done well for. It's, it's a good reward. And if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? It's not as easy as people from yeah. the outside think, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's got a lot of, a lot of moving parts in it and there's risk and things like that. And I tell you, it's funny, you said how good it feels when I was a doctor, it felt good when somebody said, man, I, I was in so much pain before you and you fixed yeah. me up, right? I walk before and you get that same feeling when investor says, thank you, because yep. they're really, I mean, people are out there stressing there. And some people, you know, it's a first world problem, but some people are making a lot of money. They've got discretionary income. They don't know what to do. And they That's don't exactly know, who, right. yeah. they know they need to invest. And they say, where do I invest? Because they don't know who to invest with. They don't know who they like. You know, yeah. know, like, and trust, right? Those three words. And so when they find out they can trust you, it's like, it's like a warm blanket. Yeah. Then yeah. They, they just, they feel good. You got another deal. If it's the right time, it's like, great. I'm going to give my money to Cody. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Even yeah. in addition to that, it's when, when they don't know where to place their money, uh, there's like an, an opportunity can pop up as, you know, I think we all do this. Um, knowing both of you is educating them on what they're investing in. Cause a lot of people just want to invest when it's kind of like consumerism. When you have money, they just want to invest. But really one thing that I really love is to educate. This is what's happening. This is what we're buying. This is what to expect and really walking them through the process of it all. That's, that's what capital raising is. Actually it's education. It's all you do. Yeah. Educate and 
make it available. And those that want it are in the right position. They'll uh, they'll take it. Yeah. Good point. So, so Tom, just to, to pivot a little bit into the business, you know, what what do you think is the either was it a mindset shift? Was it um, a, a, an employee or like a minority partner or something that really helped unlock everything that you do? Right. Because you to me, uh, you strike me as someone that's just always striving for more. Um, not that you need more, but because you're just a driven entrepreneur. What do you think really unlocked it uh, for you while scaling your business? Um, probably that word you just used, probably education and, 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 um, and, and the network. You know, it's kind of see, it's, sometimes mm. it's seeing what other people do and what's possible, you know, because we don't know what we don't know. Oh, that's it really wasn't important. certainly, it wasn't any particular employee or anything. And I still think our, our business was just, a, it was just a compounding effect. It was just, a, that, I think that's what happened because we made no giant major shifts. We just tried to do a good job on each project we were doing. And we're moving into funds and things like that now, but that's just a natural progression. But when you hang out, when you hang out with people that are moving forward, you realize, oh, I didn't know you could do that. That's pretty cool. Can you show me how you do that? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes getting out there and seeing what the rest of the world does is uh, enlightening. And sometimes it's good for your business too. Yeah. I think this is a perfect segue because Earlier on, when we started you, you talking about you being a horrible quote unquote salesman or a businessman <laughs> because you don't promote anything, I yeah. was like, I'm going to put him on the spot to talk about your mastermind. I don't know you awesome. ran a mastermind. I'd love for you to talk about it because I absolutely 100% agree. You become, we talk about this time and time again, you become who your closest five people are around you. Right. And you get inspiration by others sharing their success. And people in real estate specifically love to share how they did it for the other person. There's Absolutely. so much abundance to go around, which I love. Um, you want to uh, talk about your mastermind a little bit? Yeah, you bet. It's, and it's been fun. But I've had to learn how to do it. Man, I'm okay at real estate, but uh, learning all this other stuff was, was something. <laughs> but, but it was just kind of organic. So what happened was when the book came out, I was getting calls from all over the world, actually, you know, most from the States, but I was getting calls from everywhere. I found myself you know, five, six times a day, having a 45 minute conversation with somebody. And I, yeah. I was taking a hike with somebody who's kind of in the teaching world. And I said, man, I said, these are great people, but I, I'm not getting anything else done. He laughed. He says, dude, you need to put in a filter. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you need to allow them to you know, pay you for it and just have certain people. Mm-hmm. And I said, nobody's going to do that. He goes, yeah, it will. So anyway, that was sort of the seed. And, and I tried it out. And uh, the, the first group of people, I really told them, I said, look, you guys said, I'm, I'm glad you jumped in on faith. I said, well, uh, you know, I give everybody their money back if it's no good. And uh, you're going to teach me how to do this. And and I, I've grown and I, I am growing. You know, I'm still a little tadpole, but I'm going to grow my frog legs pretty soon. I'm getting better and better. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is so much fun. I wake up every day thinking about the group. How can I, you know, put out a little I piece of something for them? And so what we've done, what I've, and after a time, I asked them, what did you like and what would you like to see more of? So because of asking those questions, I kind of know what folk, I now know what folks want and what they wanted. They wanted, uh, you know, they all love the community. That's the thing they liked. And we just talked about that community is so important. That's where you get inspiration, partners, okay. deals, investors, uh, you know, everything, inspiration. I may have said that twice. Um, <laughs> so. 
it's the American Dodgeball Association of America. Um, and so, uh, but, but that's the most important thing. And, and you don't notice it until we're, we're doing cool. We're, we're doing it. We're having fun on this zoom call, but you guys know, when we're together at our, our get togethers, it's just it's a thousand times better. I bring sure. those people together. I bring them together at least twice a year. We go to a pretty cool location and I, I give them an experience. So it's kind of people deals and adventure. I'm an adventure addict. So, you you know, I made these, I made these East coasters and California people put guns in their hands and shoot clays and (laughs) stuff and throw axes and kind of open their minds a little bit. So community is super important. It's super supportive, but what they wanted more of, they wanted teaching. They wanted like, you know, full on, you know, focused teaching. So I teach, what few things I know. And then I bring in experts, you know, I'll bring, mm-hmm. I bring in somebody that's an expert in X, Y, or Z and whatever, whatever it might be, you know, t- tax savings or, or insurance or, you know, the, the components of the things that we use to, to produce and keep our wealth. Right. I bring in experts and I also bring in deal flow. So, you know, people often say, I want, and you mentioned it, Pasha, I want to, I don't know what to invest in, or I don't know where to invest. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that, a lot of people think that I'm in real estate. Real estate, the definition is value add multifamily. That's you know because yeah. that's been the biggest gorilla in the mm-hmm. in the room for the, for the past ten years. But there's a lot of stuff where you can make money. So I bring them, I bring them deals that they would never see. You know, I'm in a I'm in a group called Tiger Twenty One. A lot of those guys produce some really nice deals. I vet them pretty heavily, and usually it's stuff I've either known somebody for a long time or I've had money with them for a long time. I'll bring them in. Um, and so I bring them deals in all sorts of asset classes, technology, oil and gas, VC, business, medical devices, you name it, just so they can see it all. Uh, and then if they choose to invest, great. They're most of the time, they're not my deals. I take no piece of any of the deals. I'm, I'm agnostic, you know, I'm, I'm Switzerland. So I just, mm-hmm. I just show them what's available, but they're vetted deals with good people. I brought Cody's Cody in before because mm-hmm. Cody's a, a guy with integrity that does great deals. So it's been a blast and it's, uh, you know, I, it's only been a, a couple of podcasts. I've actually said, yeah, I got a mastermind and it's really fun. So thanks a lot for letting me. You know, be a <laughs> Where, um, out of curiosity, if somebody wants to join, what's like the perfect type of person that would want to join your podcast? Where can they find, you know, where can they find more out of, where can they find out more about it? Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, first place they can go to, go to rich.life. Go to rich.life. You'll find the mastermind. Um, and, and that'll kind of explain everything. Uh, but you know, the, the, uh, you know, the perfect person, certainly it's, it's, it's somebody with some means, you know, uh, we kind of, we, we, it's, it's somebody that's got some means. It can be, I do have, because of my past, I've got a fair number of physicians and I have, and I have about uh, the same amount of non-physicians. So it's, it's people that either have a good business, a good medical practice, or maybe have exited, exited a business. You know, if you think about it, somebody that's, that exits a business was likely a stud at running a business, running teams, EOS, yeah. systems. They're awesome, right? They make their exit. They go have the big party. They get over the hangover, and then they go, oh, crap, I'm an investor now. What do I do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so it's nice to at least, at least help them, get them educated on, you know, what kind of what kind of things to look for. Cause you know, that talk about raising money was, you know, half the people that I gave it to may not ever raise money, but now they're going to kind of know the thought process of the person yeah. that's raising money from them. And they'll know if they're legit or if they're out there with a good opportunity. 
So it's just trying to educate folks, bring good deal flow, have a great community and have a few adventures once in a while. So yeah, rich.life, that'll get them there. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. I, you know, I find in masterminds, uh, which I think is so wonderful, is that you just typically just do what you think you'd want to learn. And there's other people that will want to do the same thing as you. Like you, Tom, you do a lot of badass adventures, man. And so uh, like hunting and, and hiking some of the biggest peaks and just like all these different things you do which I don't know if we have time to get all into it, but you are a pure badass. But like, there's so many people that want to a, learn about deals, grow their wealth, be surrounded by people like that are authentic and, and, and personable and just good people in general. And then just to hang out. Because like you said, like when we do our masterminds and our get-togethers, the really the, the juice is just getting to know each other, just sitting around shooting the shit with each other and 100%. know that everyone has such an incredible story. And when you hear about it, you're just always in awe of this amazing adversity that people go through uh, to get to where they're at, which is awesome. It's, it is so much fun. At, at our last yeah. live, when I just sat back and just watched, everybody else was, they were carrying the conversation, which is where it should be. That last thing I want to be is in any type of guru position. So I let them know that, they, you know, everybody, everybody knows something you don't. Every person yeah. on the planet knows something you don't. And so, uh, yeah, you get them together and they, you know, they learn about, they learn about investment and money and things. But we talk about, you know, we talk about personal development and spirituality and, you know, and, and adventures and health and things like that. We bring every, cause the, you know, the, the wealth, freedom, you know, how do I want to live my life pie has a lot of pieces to it. And money's only a thin slice of it. Yes, it is. It does help you get those other things. And it's an important part, but you know, you can have just that one slice and have a crappy life. So Totally. We bring it all together. And, you know, part of it's, I let them know what, what cool things there are to do around the world, you know? So, and yeah. I'm still learning. <laughs> you, um, uh, uh, kind of speaking of adventures, you, uh, you told me something last time we, we met you at one point owned a ranch in Africa. Yeah. Which was, uh, which is like a wild adventure. Uh, I, I, I didn't even know that was possible. When did you, when, how did you get into it? Um, Man, you were you were telling me some pretty crazy stories. You'd see monkeys and all sorts of yeah. wild stuff. Um, how did that even come to be? How how does one go about buying a ranch in Africa? <laughs> um, I've never heard heard of that in my life till I met you. Oh, it was a blast. So it's early two thousands. I was hunting in Africa, and when you finished, you know the the guy I was with. You know we started because I'm in real estate, right? So I hey, what's you know what do you got around here? So on the one hand, you can buy like. Houses and stuff, you can buy really inexpensive, but, uh, you know, the rent ratio doesn't work out. Sure. But land, land was unbelievably inexpensive. Uh, I mean, like scary, crazy, inexpensive. So we looked, we looked for just the, my, my partner and I, you know, the partner and I that built the medical center, we looked together and we were pretty focused on it. We, we'd we'd, we'd uh, hire a helicopter and we would fly all over Africa, uh, well, Eastern Cape. South, Eastern Cape, South Africa. We finally found a piece uh, and uh, it was 6,000 acres. We put two farms together. They call them farms in Africa. We put two farms together. Um, uh, very little internal fencing. We took all that out. There was occasional rubble pile here or there. We took it out. We burned some of the cultivated land and let the savanna grass come up. And then we cut roads down places. They said you couldn't cut a road. And there were, there were places on our property they said no white man had ever touched. We had the Bushman River that led out to the Indian Ocean. 
So wow. this was a fabulous. It was 6,000 acres, beautiful piece of property. We stocked it with animals because, mm. well, we fenced, we fenced it first. 21 strand high, you know, high fence game fence by hand. Uh, wow. 6,000 acres. That takes a yeah, lot of guys. Wow. Uh, that takes a lot of work. <laughs> you weren't out there 6, doing it yourself? 6,000 acres? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I can't a, even comprehend that. Oh, we had two live springs. We had, we had all kinds wow. of stuff. Uh, and so, but anything that's not fenced in South Africa, you know, that game gets eaten, gets poached. So mm. our land was pretty barren. We had a couple little things called dikers, little tiny, little tiny uh, uh, antelope. And a thing called a bush buck, which can kind of hide. It's kind of like our white-tailed deer. It looks different, but it can hide in little small patches. Other than okay. that, nothing else. Yeah. So we we stocked it with kudu, bush buck, kudu, bonobuck, water buck, zebra, giraffe, rhino. We started with 11 rhinos. We ended up with 19. So we had eight rhino babies. Uh, wow, rhino, that's so cool. And the rhino poaching started. So we had... And, we had a 65-year-old dude that was in great shape that rode motorcycles around. So when I went to the ranch, I had a motorcycle out there. We would eat meat pies, drink Castle beer, ride motorcycles around the ranch. It was awesome. <laughs> that wow. is crazy, awesome. man. Uh, that is so cool. Uh, it, the business part is we leased it out to day hunters. They came and hunted on the land once it once the animals got you know got plentiful, which was pretty quick, and that covered the ranch. So it covered itself for the last you know eight years of its existence. Oh, wow. So it was a great investment. So yeah, do you still have it? Well, no. You know, in the country of South Africa, they started talking, the government started talking about something called reclamation without compensation, uh, which means uh, you're wealthy, you're foreign, and we think we might like your land, so we'll just take it. So yeah, we were right. able to sell it to somebody. One of our neighbors was a wealthy European who coveted our land. Our land was beautiful. I mean, I'm talking Jurassic Park, beautiful. Wow. And, uh, That's incredible. We sold it to him. He did what Europeans do. They she shot it up for about six months and then decided he ought to sell it. And that was probably, I don't know, it was 2017 or so. We sold it somewhere around there. He hadn't had a bite yet. They said we can buy it back for 20 cents on the dollar. So oh, wow. Uh, wow. I guess, so I guess that was one, one of the better deals. <laughs> wow. That is a, that is a wild, uh, that is a wild kind of asset to own. I, I, I've never fun. met anybody that's done that. So that was cool. You know, part of the show, as we're kind of gearing towards the end of it, is you know, it's, and you're right, it's not all about just wealth creation and business, and so much of it has to do with health. You obviously know this; you're a doctor. So, what are you doing for your health? What are some of the the things that you're doing to help give you longevity, uh, more health, mental clarity, um, that could help anyone listening? You bet. And you know, and I, I never, I never hit the adoption curve as early as some of y'all do. <laughs> I follow the threads. I'm not doing everything that everybody's doing, but uh, you know, I hung out with a guy named David Sinclair who talks a lot about yeah, longevity. Yeah. So that he kind of reinforced some things. So I, I'm a guy of I like I like habit I like daily habits. You know that compound yeah, as opposed same. to the massive action. I don't mind bouncing up and down with Tony Robbins once in a while, but I like supporting that with daily habits. Um, yeah, and so daily habits compound yeah. fast. And so what I did, you know, I, I, I had a trainer that said, Hey, you ought to fast, like, you know, intermittent fast. Like, ah, I don't want to do that. And then Sinclair said, Oh, you ought to fast. So finally I just decided one day, okay, I'm going to do that. So I do intermittent fasting just every night. I finish at a, I finish, you know, early in the evening, six o'clock, I'll finish eating and I don't eat again until 8 30, 10 30 the next day. It's not a full 16 hours, but it's 14 and a half to 16. And <laughs> it's just a habit. I just do that every yeah. day, you know? And I, 
I try to watch what I eat. And so I eat reasonably healthy, but you know, if I'm at, if I'm at Burger King and I want to have a Whopper, I'm going to get a Whopper because I've had good habits. <laughs> Let me do that. Uh, it's never, I, it's never the one off Whopper that kills you, right? It's never the one right. salad that makes you skinny. It's never the one Whopper that kills you. It's never yeah. the one beer. It's, you know, it, none of that. It's, it's, it's what you do every day in and out. It's the habit. Y'all like Oreos? Uh, not necessarily, but I do love Oreos. Yeah, one Oreo is about 50 calories. No big deal to have an Oreo, but you have one yeah. Oreo a day for a year. It's four and a half pounds you'll put on. And yeah. so a little bit of compounding. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, good habits compound, so do bad ones. So yeah. anyway, yes, I, I do so. that. Try to eat reasonably healthy. I'm a, you know, I love to exercise and be active, you know, and it's, and it, it helps me support when I'm climbing these mountains, carrying heavy packs and stuff like that. So I work with a trainer three times a week and he, he, you know, he busts my hump and works me hard and I'll tend to take hikes in between kind of stretch out. And that's, you know, that serves two purposes. That's my meditation. That's my mind clearing time. I go down to the lake when there's fog on the lake. And so I, I take these, I take, you know, they're four or five mile hikes. And then if I'm going to go on a big trek and have to be tracking in Africa, I'll do, I'll do 12, 15, 20 mile hikes as part wow. of the extra part wow. of my training. Holy cow. If I'm climbing. I've got, we got a place called the Hill of Life. I just go up and down the Hill of Life until my legs just shred. So uh, try to keep healthy. You also, really, you play a lot of tennis. You played some tennis with some pretty, uh, pretty impressive folks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that was an old thing back in the day. That was, you know, I was baseball, football and tennis. And then they all said, quit everything else and play tennis. I was a pretty good tennis player. I beat some, I beat some people you've seen on TV, but still wasn't good enough to make a living at it. Uh, I just rediscovered it probably seven months ago. And so I'm really, how'd you, uh, how'd you rediscover it? I, I was, uh, <laughs> I was playing tennis on an island. I'll put him on the spot. Ooh. All right. Yeah. You might, might as well. So I was on an island. The island was owned by Richard Branson. It's Necker Island. And, uh, I was just standing there. We were just standing there watching him play doubles with some other folks and, the pro says, Hey, do you play tennis? It's like, well, not right. I haven't touched a racket in 20 years and I had the wrong clothes. And she goes, we got all that stuff. So she outfits me. We go to another court. We start banging around. She played at UCLA. Uh, Branson comes by and sees us and he goes, he goes, Oh crap. Will you hit with me? I said, all right, I'll play with you. And so I ended up playing with Branson twice a day for that trip. And then went back for another trip to Necker and my job, of course, was to play tennis with Richard every morning and every afternoon. And <laughs> the second time gave me the bug. I realized, you know, this is pretty much fun because, uh, you know, I, I've, I'd forgot how fun tennis was. So now I'm trying to get back and I'm not near as good as my mind remembers that and thinks I was when I was younger. Yeah. You know how that goes? So I'm yeah, working yeah. on it. No, that's awesome. That's Just awesome. another continuation of how humble you are. <laughs> I'm glad you called him out. I, that's, yeah. I think the coolest story. I rediscovered tennis because Richard Branson invited me to play. So. Yeah. It was fun, but it's good. It's it's frustrating. I changed my stroke. You know, there's a new stroke now. Oh, it's frustrating. So I gave myself a year. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Tom, uh, so much for joining us today. I love every time I talk to you, I learn something new. I, uh, I, I've loved several of the, the things that you've said. I just, uh, I kept marking clips of, of quotes of awesome stuff that I'm going to go back and re-listen to. Um, so thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule and joining us. Um, and, uh, yeah. And you know, any, uh, anytime, anytime you want to come back on, you're always welcome. Yeah. Oh man, this is, you know, I only wish that we were doing this together 
uh, like we like we normally do. And I'm sorry I'm going to miss you guys in January, but this is just a fun conversation with two good friends. I'll do that anytime you want. All right. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, we'll miss you in January as well. And then one last thing, one outside of uh, rich.life um, for your mastermind, where's, if anyone wants to find you or what some other investments that you're doing, uh, how does, how does someone find you? Yeah, no, they'll, they'll get a lot through rich life, but, um, okay. uh, which will, you know, I, I send the stuff out there, but my company is Presario Ventures, P-R-E-S-A-R-I-O ventures.com. And, uh, we got some pretty good stuff there too. We in both, both entities, the whole job is to educate. So we put out, we try to put out some educational stuff once a month or so. We have, we have gatherings as well. It's just kind of a parallel business. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Well, completely humbled by you being here. Loved hanging out with you as always. And thanks for being on. Ah, you guys are awesome. Thanks a ton. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for joining us today. We think it's an absolute no-brainer that hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app will help you on your journey to your next 10 million.